Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 87, Healing and Injury, recorded Thursday, June 2nd of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, how you doing? Tired. <laughs> I hear ya. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oof. You've had a, a busy week of doing new jobs? Yeah, I'm kind of in that uncomfortable place where the uh, the newness has worn off a little bit, and now it's just like, I'm not as good as my coworkers, and I need to close that gap quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, certainly I have been there, and I think most folks have been there. You change positions, it's like, oh, the new shiny's worn off, and I'm still behind. Yeah. I'm not pulling my weight. and personal note because i know you you feeling like you're not pulling your weight is not your favorite feeling so no it is among my least favorite feelings in fact yeah which is a compliment to you but you know it it's wearing yeah certainly yeah (laughs) it might be it might reflect well on my character but it reflects poorly on my gastrointestinal tract (laughs) (laughs) yes yes very true all right We've got kind of an interesting topic tonight, talking about healing and injury, Um, but there are two things I want to get to. One of them is very big. Okay. So, most of our listeners know that over the past couple of years, really since episode 25, we've been a big supporter of the Budhana group. We have been, yes. And we've done annual fundraisers for them and that sort of thing as our Christmas fundraiser. Well... In conjunction with the Badana Group, Wheelhouse Workshop, uh, Sarah Lynn Bowman, and a few other people whose names escape me at the moment, but which will be available to you, we are collaborating on a project with all of these really interesting players in what you might call uh, a therape- the therapeutic use of RPGs. Uh, therapeutic project- and or beneficial, I think is the way right. that they put it. Uh, Yeah, because it's not just clinical therapy or even home therapy. It's what are the positive effects of role-playing games from a very professional level, right? These are people who are psychologists, therapists, researchers, that sort of thing. And they got us in there because we are big boosters of that idea of gaming for good. And we've got resources and contacts and you know, podcasting experience, and also because we obviously focus pretty heavily on the growth of character through role-playing games, right? Even outside of a Christian framework and the idea that our growth is spiritual, gaming to learn to be good people is a big deal for us. Yeah. And obviously we have a a Christian approach to that, as obviously we feel we should, but that translates pretty easily into a more technical approach. Well, this has been a central theme of ours since the outset of this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Episode one, certainly. But the project is called Game to Grow. I will link the site in the show notes and also a video that we recorded with everybody introducing themselves. This is going to be kind of a monthly video cast. 
and with different people leading segments and discussions and that sort of thing. We will not be on every episode, but the people who are going to be on each episode will be fascinating people and people you should be paying attention to. Yeah, <clears throat> we either have had or intend to have, I think, pretty much everybody else who's involved in this on the podcast at some point. Oh, yeah. They are all on our list of people to talk to because it is this idea of gaming for good. So uh, we wanted to go ahead and plug that. You can find it at gametogrow.com. But again, links will be in the show notes. Check it out. Support it. Tune in. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. All that good stuff. And check out all the individual members as well because they are interesting people. Extremely. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was just a heads up that we talked about a Patreon campaign in our New Year's episode at the start of the year, and we are getting kind of close to launching that. Uh, we still have a lot of details to work out, but my I am committing to get that done here in the next couple of months, so keep an eye out for that. We've got some decisions to make, but the campaign itself is... I have an idea of what we can get out of it. At the very highest level, if we can pull it off, we may be able to turn this into a weekly show. Yeah. And I would be very excited by that. Because, well, we'll get into details later. We'll probably do a special episode on the Patreon, something like that. But just wanted to give you a heads up that that's some of the stuff that we're considering. And I think we've got some kind of neat rewards that we can work up. So... The big goal of the Patreon, honestly, is to get us time. It's basically to use money from people who support the show to get us time to reinvest that time back in the show. So, yeah, it'll be pretty cool. All right. We've got a lot to talk about here. We sure do. Um, let's start with scripture. Do you want to take this first one from Isaiah? Sure. Uh, this is Isaiah fifty-eight eleven. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And next we have one of my favorite verses, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And this last one we have is Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So we're talking about injury and healing, and there's kind of an odd confluence of events that have generated this topic. Uh, first off, this last weekend, uh, before we recorded, this uh, Memorial Day weekend, about when my birthday 
usually falls. And it was not the best birthday weekend for me, <laughs> honestly. Uh, spent Friday in the ER making sure I didn't have meningitis. Turns out I had another Bell's palsy attack. Uh, <sighs> some of you may remember that it completely paralyzed the right side of my face a couple years ago. Well, it came back due to stress. The stress is kind of the only known cause of it. The good news is it is much less severe this time. I'm, it hurts. It's a little tight. But, you know, unless I'm really trying to grin, uh, I can move my face pretty well. And I can close my eye this time, which is the big one, really. Yeah, were you sleeping with an eye patch or something last time? Last time I had to tape my eye shut to make sure that it actually stayed closed. Oof. Otherwise, it would dry out overnight and damage the cornea. That was fun. Yeah, that sounds like, like I was a doing blast. that for about I was doing that for about two months. Ugh. Yeah. But the same weekend my wife strained her lower back. So both of us are just lying there hurting. You know, my wife can't move around very much. I can move, but doing things hurts. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, and let's you know, let's not forget your wife is kind of a fitness person. She is. Now, you know, she. we just had kid number two, which involved abdominal surgery, and because that's what C-sections are. Right. And um, so, you know, she hasn't been working out much, but she definitely, it, she has a pretty strong back. She knows what she's doing. I mean, she's a licensed Zumba instructor. Right. So her not being able to move is incredibly frustrating because she's generally in pretty decent health. So, you know, but kids and bending over and doing things and all that stuff, it just, it happened. She kind of just pulled a muscle in her back. Yeah. Not fun. Actually, a few weeks back, I went for a jog, tripped over my shoelaces and messed up my left wrist for quite a while. And that was Mm. really frustrating to me because I like being pretty mobile. I'm not in anywhere near as good a shape as your wife is, but... Uh, I was well, and kind of starting to try and get there, and nope. <laughs> well, and, and with your old job and your new job, you work with your hands Oh, a lot. yeah, I do. You know? It's not like me where I'm just kind of sitting there typing all day. You you know, you're hauling stuff, moving stuff around. You're taking computers apart. You're, you know, hauling boxes in a, a storeroom. It's yeah. not Well, easy. and servers and uninterruptible power supplies are not the lightest things in the world. There's no, a lot of 40 not. to 60 pound objects in my job. Indeed. I have a hilarious story to tell you after this podcast, by the way. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll just leave that as a teaser for our, our listeners. I, I cannot tell the story publicly, but you got to hear it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, at the same time as these health issues, uh, and literally thank God for the fact that the Bell's palsy is not as bad as it was, and the meningitis idea turned out to just be, nope, it's Bell's palsy, so, you know, I'm happy to come out of the ER poorer, but in good health, you know? Yeah. Turns out this is awful, but not quite as awful as it could be, and in a way that you've already experienced once and know what to do about. That's the other thing. It's I've been there. It's less frustrating. And a few folks, uh, some of whom listen to the podcast, uh, gave me some very kind words and advice on uh, various platforms, and that was well appreciated. So, anyway, uh, the other piece of this, one of the other pieces, is that I've been reading my daughter 
stories from her preschool book of Bible stories before bed every night. Okay. Just, you know, calms her down and we're reading stories. It's Bible stories. Now, theological differences with this book of Bible stories aside, which I have some some issues with the way they describe certain stories and that sort of thing, but... <laughs> Oh, the joy right, of being fine. a mainliner and working from a more fundamentalist book, huh? Uh, well, that, but also I think they've dumbed it down in the wrong way. Oh, okay. I think three-year-olds can handle certain things that they apparently don't think three-year-olds can. So, there we go. But we've been reading stories, and we went through most of the New Testament. And many of the stories in the children's part of the new of this New Testament thing, or the the New Testament part of this children's book, I should say, many of those stories are stories of healing miracles, which is great, right? Jesus's miracles, Peter's miracles, Paul's miracles, that sort of thing. Well, it was really interesting seeing my daughter react to healing and to sickness and injury because she just didn't get it. You know, we I would we'd read a story of uh, a lame man Right, this lame man who lay in front of the pool of Bethesda and that sort of thing, or um, a man who was blind and be like, "Well, Rachel, this man is lame. That means he can't walk, but he can run. No, he can't do that, but he can skip. No, sweetie, his legs don't work at all, but he can hop. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> she's not getting that there are things that your bot like there are people whose body just don't work." Yeah. In that way. Um, we don't really have any friends who are in wheelchairs or anything like that. So she hasn't really encountered that at all in real life. And so it, it's a genuinely foreign concept to her. And the third thing that had me thinking about this, uh, our friends over at the Gameable Disney slash Pixar slash Saturday morning podcast, uh, Chris and Katrina, uh, the, we should just call them our friends over at Gameable at this point. The Gameable podcast, yes. <laughs> the um, podcast. <laughs> there you go. Put it on your business cards, Chris. I want to. I want to see that on T-shirts, right? The Gameable podcast. <laughs> Gameable podcast. Yeah. As of this recording, like a week and a half before, they had their actual church wedding, as opposed to the the legal marriage they'd had much earlier for, you know, various, hey, we should get you health insurance kind of reasons. Yeah. But they, they actually finally had the ceremony and that sort of thing. And they're honeymooning and yada, yada, yada. And by the way, congratulations, folks. Yeah, Seriously. absolutely. We're, we're really happy for y'all. Your joy fills us with joy. Absolutely. But I was thinking about, I saw that news. And one of the lines that my wife and I always kind of bounce back and forth when one or both of us is hurting is the part of the traditional marriage vows in sickness and in health, right? Because we actually, we had those in our vows and that's actually been a really big part of our marriage because we both feel really guilty for being sick. When we push anything off to the other one, uh, it's such a burden for them. I'm so sorry. I, I wish I could help you. Blah, 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 blah. And, and we end up being racked with guilt because we're making the other one do things. And the response that both of us give back and forth is, hey, in sickness and in health, right? I said it, I meant it. 
And so we've just kind of had this week of thinking about sickness and health and how it comes up and how we take it for granted and how remarkable healing really is. Okay, before we get too much further, listening to you tell that story, that's that's kind of a beautiful thing there. That's well, that's very cool. Thank you. I mean, I think you could probably credit my wife for it originally, but it's just something that we do, right? It works out. It's one of the ways that it's a reassurance that, hey, that burden that you think you're putting on me, I'm to- I'm taking that on willingly, you know? So it's important. That is a very important part, I think, of a healthy marriage is we, we kind of carry each other when we're each too weak to walk, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, it, yeah. But I've been thinking about this, and it occurred to me that Role-playing games are terrible at this. Some of this might be listening to System Mastery talk about terrible healing systems in old games and that sort of thing. Because uh, Chrissy and I have been just lying on the couch going, Ugh, we hurt, and listening to old podcast episodes. But RPGs handle healing really badly. Have you noticed this? Yeah. <laughs> all of All of the pain and bleeding and pulled tendons and loss of mobility and... Everything else that goes along with real-world injury is represented in most RPGs by a number going down. Uh, Yes, exactly. One number going down. Yeah. Where you go from totally fine to suddenly unconscious at the bottom of it. Right. And, you know, obviously trying to represent the complexity of human bodies and exactly how complicated injury and illness and the like can be is well beyond any of the most simulationist games out there, right? Yeah, even GURPS doesn't get close. Right, but we tend to just kind of have two options, which is a cinematic wounds-don't-matter style, which, okay, that's fine, and it keeps the story going, and I think that's generally preferred, but it also leaves very little room for stories about injury and healing and hurt people, or... We go with the slow, tedious, quote-unquote realistic healing. The stuff that you find in very verisimilitude-heavy RPGs. And everybody ignores it because it slows the story down so much it makes the game unplayable, unless you ignore it. Yeah, there's a lot of hand-waving to, like, no matter how long it takes, you're still back in at the end of the session, because otherwise it's just too tedious. Right. And even then, most of it is, oh, it takes a long time. It's all bed rest. Well, bed rest doesn't heal serious injuries back to 100%. No, you need uh, physical therapy, and a lot of the time you'll need yeah. to have the the specific part of you that's injured immobilized, but the rest of you needs to keep moving around. and Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, know, casts, you know, splint, oh. or splints, slings, you know, all of these things that we use for limb injuries and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's all very complicated. And so even... Systems that claim to be realistic really just mean tedious. Yeah. In my experience. And of course, there's often some combination of this with games that have magic or other fantastic forms of healing where it's do a thing and all the all the annoying, frustrating injury and healing stuff gets taken care of in one action. I spend a spell slot for the day and yeah, you get your hit points back. You're back up. Cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're, we dunk you in the back to tank for three hours and boom, you're, you're back up to full health. Yeah. 
we put you in the Lazarus pit, we inject you with nanomachines, we subject you to, you know, the healing radiation of Captain Medic, and you are fine. Right. And don't get me wrong. I think that is a perfectly valid part of many fantastic stories. Part of the fantasy is wounds don't matter as much. Yeah. Getting hurt is not the potentially career-ending danger that it is in real life. That's part of the fantasy of those settings. And I think that is fine. Okay. 99% of the time, I think it's totally fine because that's not what the story is about. But I think we can tell interesting stories about injury, about recovering from injury, about recovering suddenly. I mean, many of the most awe-inspiring stories of Christ's works are his healing miracles. And his healing miracles are the most common miracle that we see recorded in the New Testament. Yeah. Almost all of the miracles of the apostles afterwards are healing miracles. Even Paul's conversion, which you and I <laughs> talked about last time, you know, and kind of were like, well, is this a conversion? Is it a, a this or that? I was nitpicking. I apologize. Yeah, but it made for an interesting discussion. Sure, we'll say that. But <laughs> that whole scene, Paul is struck blind and his spirit is restored with the restoration of his sight. Yeah. Right? There's a healing miracle attached to that conversion process. And I think that can be a wonderful source of story. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the question is, how do we find that middle ground? How do we get something out of that? And how do we make those effective stories? Hmm. And that's kind of the that's kind of the big question. My OK, my approach to this when we started putting the outline together was I tended to focus on the stuff going on around injured people and I would like to get mm -hmm. to that later, but I sort of feel looking at it now like that was kind of a cop-out. Well, no, I think it's a, a perfectly valid story, right? The, the story of someone who is constantly taking care of a sick relative and the cost that they pay is just as interesting as the story of that sick relative. Yeah, true. Right? You know, the effect of chronic pain and long-term care is pretty dramatic, just as you know, the, the effect of being ill for a long period of time is dramatic. So I think there's something to that. But one of the, the first things I want to go to in terms of healing and injury and that sort of thing is in these fantastic settings, how widespread is this fast and easy healing that protagonists tend to have so that the story and the game move along quickly? Now, that's going to vary from game to game, I would think. I would think so, too. But... The ability of player characters to provide sudden, immediate, complete healing to people who are injured or sick or badly hurt could potentially be very interesting. In the Birthright game, that 10-year campaign that we played, I was playing a cleric, and at relatively low levels, my guy, who was kind of a high priest character, I roleplayed him using his spell slots every day on, like, restoration spells, which in D&D &D 3035 is basically remove ability damage, which translates to going around, you know, healing long-term injury. Oh, this person's strength or constitution is permanently diminished. Well, this gets rid of that permanent damage. So think if you're thinking about it, and th remember that Birthright is a very low magic setting where real magic is very rare 
that's pretty miraculous. That's a pretty awesome thing. It brings to mind a scene towards the end of Baldur's Gate 2, mm-hmm. where you've got this party of these awesomely powerful player characters, and I think the villain does something. There's like this magical attack, and um, this kid gets killed right in front of you. It's okay. not very graphic because this is an old Infinity Engine game. A little sprite falls over, basically. <laughs> right. And you have the ability right there in that scene with one of your characters, if you've got a, a cleric with the spell prepared, to just cast, I think it's Raised Dead or Resurrection on the kid, just like nothing's going on. You know, just mm-hmm. dead, back to life. And I think it's his father that's with him, is just like awestruck and gobsmacked by this because even though this is something that happens in this setting enough where people are aware of it, normally getting this done is just unbelievably expensive. I mean, and limited by time. Yeah. In the older uh, editions of D&D, it was like uh, a day or a week per level of the character was how long you had to resurrect them. Or maybe depending on the spell, you had one month. Right, and because you've got a child, this is a zero-level character, so you can probably just pop them right back up. Well, right, but no, like, like not that it took that long to do, I mean, that was the period of time that you had. Right. Right? Between their death and when, and the, oh, yeah, yeah. when you could I'm resurrect sorry. Yes, you're right. There, You had a, a limited amount of time in which to act to, after which that person was just gone. So there is a race against the clock if you have the resources to raise this person from the dead— you still have to get it done quickly. Yeah. And how many people can get 25,000 gold pieces worth of diamond dust or whatever it cost to get you know, in like 12 days? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? Nobles and royalty and adventurers. And the list pretty much ends there. That That's pretty much it. Maybe a temple, right? Possibly. If it's, so, a, if it's a wealthy city that is particularly uh, fond of that temple's god, yes. And, and they specialize in that sort of healing and restoration and, right. and resurrection and that sort of thing. Yeah, like, it's it's an incredibly limited set. And so the idea that, oh, wait, this actually, somebody spent those resources on me or my son. And, and basically, like, totally unprovoked, too, if I remember that right. thing. It's like, oh, look, the kid just died. Huh, well, I've got the raised dead spell. Off you go, then. It's just, you know, it's just this, this, um, act of like very casual, but still awe inspiring benevolence. And that's, that's very cool. It it is cool. And I think it's cool both from the perspective of the character casting the spell. And of course, obviously the characters for whom this happens. Yeah. That's a cool story that I think is worth exploring. Imagine the, the consequences, good and bad of knowing that there is somebody in town who's in a high-level adventurer, and a cleric. How many people show up on the doorstep begging to have their recently deceased son raised, their sick child cured, etc.? You know? Yeah. There are crowds clamoring for Christ because he offered that kind of healing and that that ease of suffering, right? That, that it, and that was the sign that he was the Son of God and is the son of God, yeah. is that he brings that healing. And it's miraculous. And, 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 and more than just physical, too. 
Right. And in a a fantastic setting where those powers are available to others because it, it's part of the setting, I have to imagine the demand is pretty high. Yeah. I, I ran a, um, a, a very bad Eberron game, and I think I've told this story before. One of the little things I threw in that game was adventurers, or former adventurers, who were going around basically begging for donations, kind of doing a GoFundMe kind of kind of campaign to get their dead adventuring buddy raised before time ran out on the raised dead spell, because they couldn't cast that spell themselves. They had to, and they had to get the resources to get the spell cast for them. And this was in Eberron, which is very high magic, like getting the spell. Yeah, they have lightning trains in Eberron. Yeah, like the availability of someone to cast that spell, not really a problem. And availability of the resources, not really a problem, but they don't have the funds for it. And so, like literally, I think they were begging at the train station. Yeah. You know, that, that lightning rail train station, they were... They had it. They were going around begging, and they're like, "You, you look like wealthy adventurers. Can you spare some money for this?" Now, the scene did not play out in any like an exploration of that at all. It ended up being it was just some setting texture. No, it ended up being um, the contemptuous warforged despising these people for being too weak to solve their problems themselves. It's kind of an objectivist sort of hatred for. People trying to do good. Ugh. Yeah, well, that was in that guy's character. That's fine. But it My did, it reaction was not, stands. Yeah. We did not explore that in any meaningful way. It was, get out of my face, you worthless beggar. So, there you go. But, I think that still is a cool concept of, hey, this is a possibility. There must be so much demand for it. Okay, well, um, if you liked that one, here's another one, also from a video game. I have mentioned this Mm -hmm. before on the podcast. This is a minor spoiler for Mass Effect 2. There is a scene uh, relatively early in the game where you go to the space station, and there's this section of it, this lawless space station that's built into an asteroid, where there's this plague going through, and it doesn't affect humans. And so it's thought that humans engineered this somehow to make things difficult for some of the other alien races that are there. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody in there that you need to talk to. So you go in there and there's a member of an alien species that is particularly hostile to humanity that just humans and these guys do not get along. And he's infected with this plague. And it's because this is a lawless uh, area. He's got a gun and you go up and you try and talk to him or, or, you know, see if you can kind of help him in some way. And he kind of waves the gun in your face, tells you to get back and so on and so forth. Well, a few minutes later, he starts getting overcome by the symptoms. And if you don't do anything, he'll die, like right there in front of you. Hmm. It offers you and he's just cursing you out and accusing you of being the cause of this and, you know, that sort of thing. And you have the option of doing what's called a Paragon Interrupt, where... It flashes this little icon on the screen, and you can do something that interrupts the scene that's playing out. Right. Quick time event. Yep. Yep. So you kneel down, and you administer some high-tech medicine to him, and it doesn't totally cure him, but it takes the edge off, and it keeps him from 
keeling over right there and you send him onto the clinic where you're actually going later, you never actually see that NPC again. Hmm. And it's this this really kind of forgiving, sacrificial act of mercy in the game towards somebody who starts out despising you. I mean, obviously, when you save his life, his, his opinion warms a little bit, but it's a, it's a really kind of interesting act of mercy because you don't have to do it. The story will progress either way. And I think having the opportunity to do things like that in games, whether or not it's seized upon, kind of like with your Warforged character who I'm just having heard that, I have kind of a visceral negative reaction towards, but I, I think... Well, I, he, I think the character those... was designed to be unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. Successfully, it sounds like. Um, well, it was part of a redemption arc that was planned, which was fine. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, go on. But but having those those choices out there, regardless of which option the character takes it tells you something about who that person is you know i mean you could have a, a a character that starts out willing to help and then when the person is like you know back off and waves a gun in their face they're like okay whoa i'm out of here and just walks off right or you can have the person who is more compassionate and you know stands around and you know risks it and helps or you can have somebody who will actually just stand there and watch the person die because hey they threatened me and all three of those will tell you something about the the player character. So I think, yeah. I think moments where you have somebody else who's afflicted with something and there's a little bit of a ticking clock. It's, it's a, it's an interesting way to do some moral explanation of the player characters that you've got. Sure. Wasn't there a movie, John Q? Yes. Like, it just completely centers around this. Was it Denzel Washington? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, again, I never saw it, but the basic concept, I believe, was basically a father who holds a, a hospital and operating room hostage in order to get his son, who is dying and is not on the, the heart, like heart transplant list or whatever, basically demands that the transplant get done right then and there to save him, and basically is saying, I'm willing to go to jail in order to get healing for my son that I can't get any other way. Yeah. And that's that's a very powerful story because it is a, you know, he's doing wrong, but you also sympathize with him. And I think borrowing that wholesale and putting it into a, a fantastic setting, you know, hey, I'm, I've got somebody sick, they, you know, who I really care for, and I can't get to the Bacta tank or I can't get the healing spell, but I'm going to hold this person hostage until you use it on my son and for my my wife and fix it and then i'm willing to give up that's getting caught up in that could be very interesting yeah uh i will say you should see that movie it's actually uh, a very solid film i i think i saw a little clip of it but it's not normally my kind of movie uh, but the concept you would, you would really love stuck a lot of the symbolism head. and stuff in there i think and okay the, fair enough there's there's multiple interesting redemptive character arcs in there good to know yeah um in fact i would say if we ever did an episode on um redemption stories again that this would be a a good one to reference huh interesting okay mm -hmm. um one other thing that i want to think talk about here is generally speaking the player characters are the ones who have access to fantastic immediate healing yeah i think this is not something you can do regularly, but I think to highlight how much of a crutch that is and make it 
so that they don't take that for granted. Doing something in your game to take that away temporarily or deny that could potentially be very interesting. Hey, you get hurt out in the middle of a null magic zone. Yeah. This area is suffused with evil magic and healing spells don't work. <laughs> or, oh. or they do, well, now but we you don't want to be around when that happens. You know, it, it yeah. takes it takes something away from somebody else or the wound becomes corrupted as it heals or something else. Well, I like the idea that basically, hey, this thing that you've been depending on, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek game, your med, you know, the sick bay loses power. Nobody can, you know, you can't it gets do damaged all the by magic enemy fire or something. And while it's being yeah. repaired, you can't heal up immediately. Magic Star Trek healing doesn't, you know, with little salt and pepper shakers with lights on them don't work anymore. Whatever it is, right? Take that away for a little bit. I, I don't want it to be a a gimmick. I think that cheapens the whole thing. But if you're trying to make a, if you plan it out correctly and make a point about how important health is, I think that then is something you can reprise later in some of these other scenes we've talked about to make that more important in your game. The Rogue Trader game that we're playing. Yeah. Right? We kind of, injury is taken care of basically by replacing damaged parts of your body with cybernetics. That's pretty much how Warhammer 40k works. Oh, uh, your leg got blown off? Have a have a new leg. It's metal. Eh, we're, we're going to pretend it's better. Yeah, it, it clanks and, and, and it's might, stompy. It might actually be better if you pay enough money for it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but either way, it'll be covered in skulls. Well, of course, because Warhammer 40k. Yeah. But that's kind of how it's taken care of. And Rogue Trader has this weird combination of serious crippling injury to parts of your body, depending on how much damage you take in combat. Yeah. And the ability to just replace those damaged parts. It's weird. Yeah. But, you know, what happens if, for whatever reason, excuse me, for whatever reason, that stuff gets taken away? You know, you're you're badly crippled away from your ship. You know, you're, you're stuck planet side and everybody's badly hurt. Oh, well, now we're doing something different. Now we we don't have those advantages. Those things matter. We're normal again. And when you get back, okay, now let's let's appreciate that more. You know, these things matter. Maybe we take a closer look at how these happen. One of the things that I think is interesting for while you're doing this to take a look at is something that... Uh, are you familiar with spoon theory, Grant? I am, but I know our listeners may not be, so why don't you explain it? Okay, so the short version is basically um, your average person has a certain number of tasks that they can do throughout the day, and those are represented by spoons. Um, right, this, this is a model of effort that you can accomplish during the day. Right. Re- mostly relating to chronic pain. Yeah, uh, it was it was come up with by somebody who was suffering from, I believe, lupus. I will look I it up and recall. have it linked in the show notes. But some kind of a chronic illness where there's a lot of pain and everything is just more difficult. Right. So she was talking to a friend of hers and, and saying, like, let's say that, you know, getting out of bed takes like two spoons. Well, if you're a normal, healthy person, 
you start with hundreds of these at the beginning of the day. You have all of this potential effort that you can expend because all of these normal actions are not particularly difficult. Oh, we should explain where the spoon thing comes from. Yes, they were in a restaurant and she actually was looking around for an object to represent things with. Yeah, she, I think she basically grabbed a bunch of silverware off nearby tables and it's like, okay, this these are the resources I have in the day. It was basically all the spoons from these nearby tables. Right. It's like, this is the total amount of effort I can output in, the day, in a day. Yeah. And it's okay. Getting out of bed, that's a spoon. I've got 12 of them. Yeah. Getting dressed is another spoon. Putting on makeup was one of them. And it's like, okay, so do I spin my spoon on makeup? You know? Or, you know, do I spin it on making breakfast? You know, th- things like that. And it's, it, I'll let you finish, but yeah. that's that's where it comes from is this idea. It basically of, turns your life into a punishing resource allocation game. Yeah. Well, and, and the, that's what chronic pain does, and this spoon theory models that. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm, we're, because we're being brief, we're not quite doing it justice. I, um, I will find the link and can stick it in the show notes, but I I think having that kind of as a thing that sits in the back of your mind, first of all, it helps you be more compassionate towards people with chronic medical condition, which is, I think, something that both of us will very strongly get behind. Yes. And the second thing is, it gives you an idea of just kind of the vast amount of space there is between completely incapacitated and totally healthy. Like, you know, I will I will say for myself, um, I come from a line of sturdy people. I'm generally in fairly good shape. I mean, messing my wrist up a little bit bugged me because I basically sit on a spoon factory. You and I have some mutual friends that are not nearly so fortunate yeah. And, you know, it, it makes me feel bad sometimes with some of the complaints that I have about this or that. And it's like, oh, man, you know, so and so can never do that. It's mm-hmm. just too difficult. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely something to think about when you're you're looking at integrating injury, whether it's chronic or you're just cut off from whatever magical healing resource you have in whatever game you're playing. Or like, you know, we said dealing with people who have chronic pain or mental illness or any of the other things that'll take your spoons away in real life. You know, that would be an interesting way to model injury basically as an action point system. Yeah, it would be because it's, you know, while you are recovering, it's not that, Oh, you get two hit points back every day. If you maintain complete bed rest, nothing like that. It's okay. You're hurt. You have, while you are hurt, you have a certain number of action points that you can spend every day. And maybe as you get better, those increase. Yep. You know, and then once you're back to full, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, we we ignore that system. Or, I don't know, maybe this is a system where everybody has action points and you take them away for injury, whatever it is. But, okay, you can only do so much in a day. What do you spend your time and effort and pain doing? This feels like something that should be in either don't rest your head or unknown armies to me all of a sudden. No, I don't think it's appropriate for that. Because it is... Just the just the focus of those games on like pain and difficulty, I guess, is what well, made me think that. There's that. You know, actually, a game of hurt people could be very interesting. Yeah. 
And you actually, know, okay. you know what? I'm going to push back on you a little bit. There's already a system like this in Don't Rest Your Head. It's kind of the whole point of the game. You've got the the madness and exhaustion dice and that's true but those are bonuses remember the you know the more of that you are yeah the more until you get. they're really really not you know it, well and it's that's true that's true you're right don't rest your rest your head kind of models that of this, to some degree it, it it kind of pokes at the edges it, it's an interesting system it kind of came to mind and then i was well, thinking about the the tracks in um unknown armies where you've got these different kinds of stress that can start adding up on you and yes that's true the, the stress meter and hardened and failed notches and that sort of thing. That definitely is similar, but I'm really thinking more in terms of that resource game. I can't do as much every day because I'm hurt. Yeah. You know? And something that would also be interesting here, and this will kind of lead me into the next thing that we've got is, let's say that you are got really badly banged up in the fight with the monster. You pulled a bunch of tendons, you broke a limb, you've got all of this injury to yourself, your physical body is just totally shot. But your brain's still working just fine. You can still talk, you can still think, you know, you can, let's say you've Mm -hmm. at least got some painkillers so you're not just insensate with pain. Okay, now you're in this kind of the situation of a character like Oracle from the DC Universe, who used to be a run-around-on-rooftop superhero until she got paralyzed... And now right. she basically acts as a handler for all of the other superheroes in Gotham City. She yeah. sits there in front of a bank of computers with a radio in her ear, and she feeds them intelligence from... Well, you know, um, Batman Beyond explored the same thing, not with illness and injury, but with age. Bruce Wayne in that... It's future Batman, right? Right. <clears throat> Bruce Wayne is very, very old in that, and... He still tries because it's Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne will do what Bruce Wayne does, but he can only do so much. He's on heart medicine. He's old. He's walking with a cane. He can't fight very well. Like the whole point of these, you know, super awesome cybernetic suit that the, whatever the guy's name is. Terry McGinnis, I think. Oh, there you go. Terry. The suit that he wears, it was kind of designed for Bruce Wayne to basically keep him at full strength by basically being this awesome exoskeleton thing. And Bruce Wayne just can't do that anymore. So he's he sits back in the Batcave giving advice and warning and watching monitors and that sort of thing. Because his brain works great, he just can't keep up with the young superheroes these days. He's old. Yeah. At Fear the Con 5, I actually played in a game that had the same sort of thing happen. It was a, a Dread game uh, run by Michael Matthews, and a uh, booter that we know. Fantastic Awesome GM. GM. <laughs> Amazing. And it was a zombie survival game. We were the only group that he had ever had, and he'd run this game like three times at different cons. We were the only group that ever actually knocked the Tower of Jenga blocks over. And we did it about midway through the game. And so what he ruled was, okay... This guy's character is not out of the game. It's not dead, destroyed, lost, whatever. He's just very badly hurt. Uh, He ended up... Basically, a scared survivor shot him through a door. And, um, you know, he didn't get zombied. He just took a shotgun blast to the gut. You know, it was through a door. It didn't kill him, but it hurt him really badly. So he was pretty much just lying around in the base 
not dead, kind of talking and, you know, planning and that sort of thing, but also just miserable and suffering because this is a zombie survival game and painkillers are at a premium. Yeah, you don't just have morphine sitting around. Right, and, you know, they patched him up and all that, but he literally, it was the next time you do something that required a block being pulled, your character dies from the strain because his system is so badly damaged. Sounds like a fair way of handling it. It seemed very fair because it basically was you get one more cool action. Yeah. Right. But that that's the end of your character. So it was cool. And he got to continue to role play with us and that sort of thing. And it also kind of modeled it correctly because what was he going to do? Not much. He was going to lie there and suffer and very, very slowly maybe get better eventually. So that that chronic pain and disability from injury, it made for a better game. It made for a better story for that character because that became a central part of that character just from this this failed Jenga block pull. Oh, so you guys didn't... I thought he said that you were the first one who pushed it over instead of just having it fall. You guys... Oh, no, no. We were the first ones who actually made the tower fall over. Oh, okay. Huh. <laughs> Everyone else managed to keep it up the entire session. Go figure. Well, it sounds like he did something cool with it. Oh, yeah. L- listen to me it... talking about... Of course he did. I've gamed with this yeah. guy before. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's brilliant. But, I like, I learned a lot from that three-hour con game, believe me. Yeah. A couple other things that I want to touch on before we wrap this up, because we're kind of running a little long. Medical facilities. Yes. These are places where awesome things happen, right? Yeah. But they are also places where interesting people are. Yeah, I mean, take a look at your typical hospital. You've got all different kinds of doctors, you know, from the from the highly skilled like, you know, neurosurgeon that can go in and remove a brain tumor and leave somebody pretty much totally unscathed on the other end of it to these emergency room doctors that can put people who are basically in pieces back together and have them live. You've got nurses, some of whom have, you know, been in this for ages and have all of this accumulated knowledge in this kind of wonderful bedside manner. You've got uh, emergency medical staff like paramedics and EMTs bringing injured people or sick people in. You've got the security people. You've got law enforcement. You've got IT people. Hospitals use a huge amount of computer technology oh, these goodness, days. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, you've got people from all walks of life coming in as patients. Well, not just patients. Families of patients. Yeah, visitors. P- visitors. Um, volunteers. Sure. Caretakers. Uh, fundraisers. When I was at um, Medical University of South Carolina for my daughter's heart surgery, you couldn't move through the downstairs but for, you know, like book sales and uh, coffee mug sales and that sort of thing. Like with these different groups raising money to do certain things in the hospital. Well, and then not only are they raising money, but they're turning around and actually doing those things that they're raising money to do. Right, because they're right there. But also, And it's also like, hey, this is a book for my sick kid, you know, who's, who's stuck in the hospital bed. Well, cool, I've got something for them. And these are just people who are there. There were, um, when my daughter was in the NICU before going to MUSC, um, she got this really interesting shirt 
and bear in mind, this is like a three, four, five-year-old, five-day-old baby. Right. Okay? Hooked up to a bunch of IVs and beeping electrodes and monitors and all this sort of stuff. Okay? IV in the head is actually where they put it on infants. Wow. Well, there's the head doesn't move in the same way that arms wiggle around. No, it makes sense. It's just... And uh, there's a very easily accessed vein there, so... Yeah, it's it's terribly depressing, but it actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Anyway, there's all this stuff on them, right? Right. There was somebody, like a, a grandmother, who had designed this vest, like backwards vest-like shirt to put on infants in the NICU. Okay. And she was making them and just delivering them to babies. It, it was this cool little thing because it kind of Velcro's... Uh, in funny ways. So you can basically put it on the baby without having to pull it over anything. Right. So it kind of just wraps around and kind of Velcros to itself. And then you're, you know, this NICU baby's wearing a shirt and, you know, it's keeping them warm and it's a way to dress them and and that sort of thing. Right. Well, these are the kind of people that you see in hospitals is people just doing nice things and finding ways to help. They're, crazily busy and crazily complicated there's you know everybody who's learning quickly about you know what's going on and trying to get as much information as possible and there's people who are you know praying quietly and they don't want to know what's going on they just want to trust in the lord that everything will be well and there's everyone in between you know it's interesting just speaking of hospitals for a moment if if you need some more convincing that this is an interesting thing to have in your setting, think of all the different TV shows and movies that have been set in them and nowhere else. Right. I mean, you can have entire stories that happen there. Yeah. Yeah. We have one or two other little points to make, but I think we can mostly pass on those because I think we, we're about out of time. Yeah. And I think we is covered there... those earlier, too, which is also yeah, that, too. Yeah. If you've got thoughts on this. I really want to hear about those. Put them in the comments. Yeah, definitely. stgcast.org. Just put them in the, the comments below each episode. Uh, we, we always read those. We get notified by email of each new comment. And trust me, we read them avidly. Uh, yeah. You can also email us, host at stgcast.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter. You know, reach out to us through any of those. We, we really do love to hear from you guys, believe me. Um, and, of course, if you like our show, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else fine podcasts are not sold. Yeah. Yeah. We don't sell them. Anyway, Peter, you got anything else we want to wrap up with? Nope. I think we've covered this one. Cool. Well, listen, thanks for uh, letting us talk about this, folks. Thanks for listening to us. You take it easy. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.